Welcome to the Law in Sport podcast with me, Sean Cottrell, the CEO of Law in Sport. If you haven't tuned in before, the Law in Sport podcast is here to help you understand the latest legal issues and developments from the world of sport. We also get to speak to some of the world's leading sports lawyers about their career journey, their background and their interesting work that they are involved in. Our special guest for today is Ashtar Mohamed Saleh. She is the Director of Legal Affairs and Compliance at the Confederation of African de Football. And I probably said that wrong because I normally refer to it as CAF, and many of you will do if um, you're as lazy as I am. Um, and previously, she's worked in uh, as legal counsel at FIFA and has just got the most fascinating uh, background. So I'm absolutely delighted to welcome Ashta, you to the podcast today. How are you doing? Hello, Jen. Thank you. Thank you for your kind words. I'm very well. Thank you. To start us off with, can you, um, I think it will be helpful, to, we'll get into your career, but just talk about your role at CAF, which, you know, as we spoke about privately and, and on with various other people on the podcast, um, super excited about the African continent and, you know, football and basketball and just generally sport across the continent. Can you talk about your role um, and how that fits in CAF and then we'll come on to sort of how you ended up there? Thank you, Sean. Um, I am the Director of Legal Affairs and Compliance at CAF. Uh, I joined CAF in 2018, in June 2018. And uh, at this time, there were no legal division in CAF. So basically, uh, we created the legal division uh, with me joining uh, CAF. Um, at this time, uh, I have been handling all disciplinary uh, so from any kind of disciplinary um, procedure, uh, submitting, investigating the matters, submitting to the disciplinary board, we go to appeal board, and we have been following also the cases uh, in TAS. Um, in parallel, uh, we have been um, handling everything that has a legal aspect. So as you can imagine, in the beginning, it was really, really complicated to define exactly what is legal and what isn't legal. So uh, we had some time to, to define that. Um, I have been acting as a general counsel to the general secretariat. Um, in CAF, there are um, six divisions. So competition, we have competition, the HR. We have been working a lot with HR. Um, marketing, of course, all the contracts, um, negotiating contracts, etc. We have been helping them, services, uh, a lot also contracts. So we have been really working with all uh, the divisions. So uh, it And so, so to put that into context, and we can sort of, and maybe this is a, the, the apt time to talk about it. Um, you mentioned on the... Um, uh, the webinar that we held last week or a couple of weeks ago now on from moving from private practice into uh, a general counsel role. That if I if I, my memory serves me correctly, that you essentially created the role, right? In the sense that it was part of your your dissertation. So maybe we can take a backward step because I think if that is such an interesting story. How did you end up at CAF then? Let's go through this process. How did how did you end up at CAF? So uh, the story is quite interesting backwards. Uh, I have started working in CAF in 2006. Uh, at this time, I came from France. I have been studying in France, and um, I came to Egypt 
for uh, personal reasons, family reasons. Uh, so uh, I have been doing my last year in, uh, in the university. There is um, uh, the University of Sorbonne that has an antenna here in Cairo. So I have been doing my master two um, in uh, in this. Uh, it's an institute. It's the university. Um, so at the same time, I have uh, been re recruited in CAF as a manager of a development uh, project. Uh, it's, it was called the contract with Africa. Very interesting for a young lady. It was like uh, nine million US dollars that has been distributed to African uh, Federation, and I have been following up with with them. So it was really interesting. And so in the morning, I have been working in CAF until afternoon, and then I went to the university. And then uh, for to finish uh, to to have uh, the, the, my, my diploma, I needed to write a thesis, an essay. So the subject that I chose at this time was the creation of uh, the legal division in CAF. And in order to write the essay, I have been advised by someone that I really appreciated a lot to um, go and uh, have an internship in FIFA because, of course, the model for CAF, a uh, legal division in CAF would be the legal division in FIFA, and at this time um, it was already functioning there. So uh, I have requested an internship in FIFA, they accepted. I went there for one month. I did my internship in FIFA, I could wrote my essay, I came back to CAF. I had a very good contact with the people in FIFA. And uh, so when I came back, uh, at some point I have been uh, contacted and they told me that if I'm interested, uh, there, there were an open position for me in FIFA. Of course, I needed to do all the interviews. But uh, yeah, so I was very, very happy about it, uh, especially uh, for me, Egypt. Sorry, did you have a, a, did you, when you went to do the internship, did you think to yourself, maybe this might lead to a role at FIFA or did you just think, it's going to be one month there, one month back home. No, actually, uh, you know, for going to FIFA, Switzerland, it was, uh, it was impressive for me at this time. Um, I could have imagined, but for me it was far, something very far. I couldn't imagine that um, I would be working there a few months later because I was just amazed. I was looking at everything. It was, you know, and it was so... You know, Switzerland, uh, so I have been living in France, but Switzerland is another level. So I was impressed. Most of the time I was just looking everything with, you know, huge eyes. <laughs> so, um, no, I wasn't really thinking about it. And um, But I felt the interest while being there because um, I think uh, with all humility that I, I had uh, quite sharp uh, mentality. So... Um, I could understand the things, and I saw that sometimes people there were impressed by the way I could just understand very fast. And I was very interested. Actually, I'm passionate about, you know, when I get into something, when I like it, I'm really into it. So uh, I think they, they liked uh, they liked this. And, um, yeah, and I have also, um, it's easy for me to get the connection with people. I'd say not everyone of course, it can be everyone. But when I like someone, I mean, I had this openness that uh, 
I, I really had a very good contact with the people back there. So so just to break this, to just distill that a second then. So there was, I love this. So there was one embracing learning, right? So it's a, it's a, it's a huge shift though, you know, going from Egypt to, uh, to Switzerland, to two totally different environments, uh, going from, uh, you know, studying and working at CAF to then going to FIFA is a totally different environment. So it's a huge shift there, but embracing that. And then, yeah, the thing that we've talked about before as well, but building meaningful relationship, it doesn't necessarily mean building relationships with everyone, but it means building uh, good and meaningful relationships with a, a number of individuals, right? Where you can actually have proper dialogue and you can get to know each other and uh, see where there's mutual interests. Um, and, and then probably that, would you agree, that probably creates an environment then of, a, of more learning because you can you know, express your ideas and thoughts in a, in a very open way? Uh, I think uh, if I understood well uh, your question, um, the fact that we're um, open with people, you mean uh, having... Uh, meaningful relationship with people helps. Is that your question? Yes. Yeah. Yes, a lot. For me, actually, um, major, major um, important thing is to have authentic uh, contact with people. I can't, I don't know, so I think it's because of my background. You know, we African, we're just like, so like, it's family. I meet you and two hours later, you're family. <laughs> So it's very, it's different. I have been told quite early that I'm professional. And when they tell me that, I couldn't understand. They were saying like, well, yeah, I appreciate you, you're professional. So, uh, but the, the truth is I'm, mo I'm most, mostly, yeah, with everyone, I'm authentic. When, um, so it's not only work. We're not, the work is just something that we are creating. But first of all, we have the real contact between, between human and then we create something so 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 on that point what well, why do, why do you think that you are uh, i'm presuming in compared to other people that they're saying this and I, I always i don't like the fact that people compare people but we do anyway but the um why what did they what stood out for them in this as they were consider what made you appear to them to be more professional or be or just be professional compared to others who may not be i think i have this sense of service you know um I, actually i'm the eldest of uh, of 10 people wow <laughs> yeah i'm telling you <laughs> 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 so this is what i'm telling you my professional and personal life it's very intricate so uh, I always have been um, raised to be serving. It's, it, you know, it's really recently that I started taking for myself too. And uh, it's, it's a little sad because I came to a point where I couldn't give anymore and then I stopped. So I think um, I had this sense of service that I'm here for you. And I think that this, is, this was appreciated. And uh, also emotionally, um, quite early, I was mature emotionally. So I could withdraw sometimes. If something is happening, I would just uh, handle myself. And I think this was uh, appreciated for a young lady. So, so what's the gap between your brothers and the sisters? Gap? What's the what, Yeah, the gap is in what's the, the, the gap between the oldest and youngest? That must have been in. And, you, and you're the oldest, is that I'm right? Yeah, I'm the eldest. Yeah, yeah wow. Um, yeah, and 
Uh, I think it's one to two years. We're ten, yeah. <laughs> And no doubt, then does that mean you had to look like basically look after your your siblings? Is that how it worked? Is in yes. So actually, until today, uh, I'm their mom. I'm I'm the mom of everyone. Um, I had a, I have a mom who. Uh, it was clear for my parents from the beginning that I had to to do the work, and uh, both my father and mother they. They gave me the responsibility very early. Um, I think at seven, eight uh, years old, I I was taking care of like a baby of two months. The, she was sleeping with me. Just to give you the example. <laughs> no, it's a completely wow. different wow. system. Than wow. <laughs> but for us, it's not I've got more respect for you than I, than I had before, and I had a lot of respect <laughs> for you before, but now. That's something as a, as 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 a as a you know someone in my thirties looking after kids. I did a terrible job, let alone being. No, it's it's a different system. Actually, for them, they were forming me. You know, it wasn't something bad. I have been in training, so uh, I remember my mom. Uh, she had uh, one. I think I was eight years old or something. So she kept the baby with her uh, until one month, and then the baby was sleeping with me. Uh, and I took care of it, uh, of her. She, it was a baby girl. So after that, I was taking care of everyone. Uh, same thing for my father. Um, but for them, they were training me. It was something good that they were doing to me. And uh, at 12 years old, for example, they make me leave uh, home and they, they sent me somewhere very far away. So... <laughs> It was uh, training for them. And I remember I was crying because I wanted to go back home. And um, uh, I was calling my father. I was 15 years old at this time. And I was crying. I wanted to go back home. And my father kept telling me, be a man. Be a man. <laughs> <laughs> and until today, I was telling him this story. You know, after three years, I, I spent a very bad time there. And after three years, I ran away, actually. But... Yeah, for three years, I have been asking him, like, I want to go back home. And he was telling me, be a man, be a man. So until today, we're joking about that because I couldn't understand what does it mean. And so, and so I think, you know, we've talked about this before, but I'd really like to, if you're happy to, talk about your um, sort of journey into sports law because you're, you know, um, well, you you're you're born and raised in Chad, right? Is that correct? Yes, until uh, twelve years old, and then I was in France. And so, and, and then you're in France until, and then you went back to Chad. Correct, right? And so, and then you started. To, obviously, you were studying, and you've got a you know you've you've studied in in various institutions. Um, you got, I think, masters in law from the University of Bordeaux. Um, can you just describe um, sort of the, the 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 cultural expectations of growing up in Chad and then your legal career there, and how you ended up then going from doing non sort of sports work and then doing sports work, and also talk about your and you know, could we talked about this again for those who didn't 
well, didn't have the privilege of, of, of tuning into that session. Um, you talked about you know, your sporting background and stuff. And now, now they see you provide even more context in the sense that, you know, one of 10 makes it, it all makes sort of science. It's all starting to piece together now, making a bit more sense. But can you just talk about your experience sort of moving into law, playing sport and some of the expectations of you then and how that's sort of shaped where you are now? Mm, okay. Thank you, Ocean, for the question. Um, uh, the expectation for a girl in Chad um, was, of course, to get married and uh, have children and take care of uh, the household. Um, I'm coming from, um, they call it a good family, you know, so we are, there is some kind of um, society and I'm from the upper society. And actually, the reason, because I have been asking my father why, why at 12 years old he made me leave um, home, and actually, apparently, um, people were coming to ask for, for me to get married at 12 years old. And uh, for him, it was clear that he wanted me to study, you know. Um, so he felt that if I stayed in Chad, he couldn't. Uh, resist uh, the the pressure, the social pressure. So he needed to make me leave. So um, I went to to France, and um, for me, actually, the I think my my major point in my life. I remember I was thinking about that yesterday. Is that when I started reading, I the the I don't have many memories from my my childhood, but this one that. The most exciting moment for me is when I could read because I was reading when I was in the car. I could read all the names of the companies and I was very excited about it. So very early, I felt independent. And I was telling you earlier before I had been responsabilized very early. So uh, going to France, etc. I, I, I was reading already a lot. At this time, I was reading a lot. Uh, when I went to France, the three years were not very good years. I really hated that time. And the only thing I could do was reading. And just to give you an idea, um, at 12 years old, I could spend one year without talking to my mother. You know, and uh, yeah, and uh, it was really uh, an environment where I was, was very not, not good for me. Uh, reason why I wanted to go back home and told to be a man and stay. <laughs> um, so uh, I was reading a lot already. And then I had insight in many different things, uh, different culture, and um, and I was curious. I, I always wanted to learn. So um, um, then going to law afterwards, law was just... Um, it was just uh, an option. I, I didn't know anything about law. I won't say I loved it. I told you last time I wanted to be a choreographer. I, I, I loved fame, you know, the TV show fame. I loved it. And I, I thought what I wanted to be is to be a choreographer and go to New York and open a school or something, you know. So, so my father just told me to calm down that I'm a Chadian. <laughs> And I should be really grateful to be to have the opportunity to study, which was really uh, true. So I had the choice either uh, being a doctor, architect, or a lawyer. 
uh, to be a doctor and architect, you need to know how to do maths. And I, I was very bad at maths. <laughs> You're playing into the stereotype that lawyers aren't very good at maths. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I just, okay, I picked law and uh, our academy in Chad. When I went back to Chad, I was in the French school. So uh, our academy there was Bordeaux. Uh, so uh, when I had my, uh, we call it the back in, in Chad, automatically I could have the opportunity to go and study in Bordeaux. Um, at this time, it was uh, so rare. I think our generation was the first, we were two or three girls from Chad going to study in Bordeaux alone, you know, and people were really like, my father had people insulting him in front of everyone that you are crazy. You're sending a girl alone in, in France to study. She will she will get pregnant. She will do this. She will do that. So uh, he had to face quite uh, some uh, criticism. And that, well, how did how did how, and how did you feel about that? Like, as in terms of, you know, I can't. You know, I said it's very. You know, I'd never had to experience that, so I've got no idea what that must feel like. Did that did that affect you when you were going to study, or was that, yeah? Of course. Of course, actually, you know, it makes you live to prove yourself, you know, because of course my father was telling us, you know, you see how they're telling me, how they're treating me. Uh, so you had to be the example. And of course, I really appreciated uh, uh, the opportunity to go study, but um, I was I was saddened that I wasn't doing it for myself. I was all the time. It's like you're you're a kubai, you know, you're there to prove people wrong. So you're not living for yourself. You're not doing things for yourself. You're all the time, um, you know, it's just you're an example, you know. And what's that, sorry, and you, so you talked about this earlier, but in terms of making time for yourself as such, but then at that time, did you understand that that's what you were doing in the sense of that you were doing it for in terms of for the example was did, did that just feel part of the course were you in a position at that time where you understood that or you just you just thought head down this is what i've got to do i'm going to do a great job i'm going to represent my country i'm going to represent and inspire other people no at this time of course i didn't have uh, the maturity to know that um, it was for me actually it was just the way i was you know the eldest of 10 10 people and uh, you're the example you should be always the example and i was basically just living like this i didn't have a life and to tell you something also a little funny is that uh, in bordeaux i had uh, my my parents actually thought that it was a very good idea to send me uh, there were four of my brothers and sisters so I basically was also with, uh, I was a mom, <laughs> a dad, and a student there. So <laughs> it was quite funny. I, I, I was 17 years old, so um, I had to take care of them. The, 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 the youngest one at this time was, uh, so, uh, I think she was eight years old or nine years old. Yeah. You know, responsibility, training. It was just like this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It truly is training, right? To to to, to be able to deal with, uh, uh, and I'm sure it kept you focused because I don't think there was probably any bandwidth. To, there was no. There's not going to be any leeway there to not be focused, right? Because otherwise, 
you just wouldn't be able to survive more than a couple of days, right? <laughs> like I said, you you'd be overwhelmed. But you know, Shan, with all this, with all this, I had really great years in in Bordeaux, and I had fun. I was really, I I had fun. I had uh, friends that I still have uh, until today. Uh, precious time. Uh, the only, and actually, what was good is that by having my brothers and sisters, my apartment was um, a nest for everyone. So, you know, students, uh, uh, they come at my place. For example, we, we almost never close the door and there, there are always food in the kitchen. So basically, my friends, they know that they just come and just drop by and, <laughs> eat and you know, if you want, sounds great. Yeah, no, no. I had a really <laughs> great time in Bordeaux. I loved it. Uh, of course, responsibility wasn't easy because sometimes, um, uh, maybe I will overshare, but I had a place where when I was just too full, I'll go there, I'll cry a little bit and come back home. So, um, but I had really a great time. But here's the thing, Ashtar, like that is the thing, right, that, that I think that's wonderful. I do think you're sharing this because, you know, at the end of the day, we're all human beings. And I think one of the problems in the sector, in law, and sometimes in sport, particularly from executive role, is that people don't express that the fact that they're human beings and they can feel overwhelmed at times. And I think anyone listening would certainly understand that at that time, being a young person, having to have all that responsibility is going to feel overwhelming, right? Because you might not be best equipped at that moment in time as you are now, as, you know, with all the tools you need to deal with that situation. I think I'm pretty sure most people feel overwhelmed a lot of the time to be honest with you with everything going on in, in, in quite, you know, in less stressful environments. So from there then, so but one, I'm, I'm now sort of got this romanticized view of Bordeaux in terms of like this, like community and everything. It sounds great. It really does sound like a, what a wonderful experience. Um, yeah, just, and again, like despite all the additional pressures and then, so then I presume then you, you, this is when you return to Chad and then, 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 then you, you start practicing law. No, from Bordeaux, I came to Egypt. And just to go back a little bit uh, to what you said, Shen, I wanted to react before I forget. Um, uh, for me, being a human is is the thing, you know. I have really difficult time sharing with someone. Like, for example, yourself. Uh, you remember our first contact? We really had a great chat. I need to see something on you. We're human. And actually you need to deal with all the human side before professionally. For me, your professional um, efficiency will come from the way you handle all this. And, uh, and, and you know, bad moments, bad, bad difficult, let's say, difficult moments are what we call human side. For me, it's just at some point, you just find a way to overcome it. Uh, overcome it and we'll sit have a tea and laugh about it like what we're doing now you know <laughs> it's not so dramatic you know Joe, Joe I, I I think that's a really interesting point that you've raised in terms of it's something that that you know I like talking to people with people probably know and way too much but the I've always felt that there's there's an efficiency to it that sometimes people undervalue in the sense of, you know, we can better understand each other and how we communicate if we can understand a, a little bit of where we're coming from uh, and what we're about in terms of, you know, how we want to interact. And sometimes I think um, at the quest of um, of being or perceived to be efficient, 
right? That human element can get lost, but it, whilst it might mean that you can interact very efficiently in the first instance, a, a week, two months down the line, there can be real, uh, mis uh, it seems to me like a, a risk of increased miscommunication right uh, and tension that can be created because you're coming at things from a sometimes from a different perspective and yet you could just be asking someone to do one task or to provide some information but you haven't understand you know where someone's coming from so i think it's a really i'm going to reflect on that a little bit more i think it's a great um you know a great observation so coming back to your story then so you're in bordeaux you go to egypt Egypt, yeah. So I do the, the my last uh, year of university. I work in CAF. Uh, I come into the sports um, world, I'd say, of course, with CAF, but not law, sports law yet. Uh, I go to FIFA for the internship. I discover the sports law because I had to do the whole... The, my internship was around all the department of, uh, of FIFA, um, it was impressive. I just remember that I was just like, oh my God, this, you know, it, it was really impressive. Um, and of course, you know, with FIFA, FIFA, just the name, you're already, and you're buying it, you know, just the name, you're like, oh my God. Um, and then I came back and, you know, while writing the, the thesis on the creation of the legal division of uh, CAF, I was, it was just flowing, you know, it's just as if I understood the thing. I did it very fast and uh, I had a good um, quotation on it. So I was very happy. Um, and then I go back from Egypt, then I go back to, to FIFA. 2008, um, I went to the player status department. Uh, the beginning was a little bit uneasy because, of course, that was my first contact of sports law. Uh, living in Switzerland was very tough for me. In Zurich, I'll say, because Switzerland is from each side is different. And not speaking the Swiss-German uh, everything was different, really. So I had to deal in parallel with this. Uh, for the work itself, I loved it. I really loved it. I loved the environment. I loved the work itself. I had a very good, uh, <clears throat> I would say, teacher. Uh, I'm sure everyone knows him, uh, Omar Ongaro. Amazing person. I loved uh, working with him. He was very patient with me at the beginning. <laughs> Some things couldn't get in. And, and then, no, I loved it. I really appreciated the, the way um, things were uh, handled, the investigation. Um, and, um, yeah, so I, and also I could get things quite easily still, you know. It's what you learn and then there is something more. So for me, I, I appreciated and I could get, uh, quite quickly the things but there in player status and we have many now uh, they're all over the world you know player status department has trained a lot of sports lawyers um, from from there two years later um, I had to leave and go back to Chad uh, huge surprise for everyone that it was a tough decision to make but um, 
I think it was really the good decision for me to make. I never went to chat. I never went to chat as an adult. I didn't know the life as an adult in chat. So I went back to chat. I founded my own firm, um, consulting in sports uh, business and sports law. And then there I practiced and I, you know, while studying, I had something for, for contracts already, you know. And uh, with, my, uh, with my company, I really discovered that contracts is my thing. It's like I can write contracts just to, to relax. I would just, you know, it's very strange, my, my relationship. But I loved it, you know. And, uh, and I'm, I'm a patriot also. So I had to work uh, for, uh, we have our uh, national company in charge of oil. At this time, they were negotiating a lot with uh, foreigners, a Chinese uh, company. So I was with them, I accompanied them in this negotiation and I was tough and uh, I, I loved it. So um, sports law, I didn't practice while in Chad, although people knew that I have an, um, uh, an experience there. So they contacted me. I have few people contacting me still to have, uh, to have some my insight in things that they have ongoing. So um, yeah, and I did a lot in my company. I did a lot of like contract negotiation most of the time. And I could discover many things. I'll say that. Um, in the mint, in parallel of my company, I used to do things twice by twice. As you can see, in parallel of my company, I I was the uh, head of uh, legal department of uh, our national water company. So how did that? How does so? How does this lead to? This is the bit that, that, that I think is super interesting. How does lead? Like obviously. He, how does this lead you into CAF, though? Obviously, you did, but but that's to CAF, not yet. For me, at this time, I, I think at some point I was just doing what I liked and kind of surviving because, uh, you know, we we're active. We want to uh, earn money, and uh, and with my company, I'd say I had few challenges because uh, then I didn't think like as a young woman going there and uh, <clears throat> doing law. It was not something, I don't know, like uh, I'm not promoting something easy. It's law and sitting with people, hearing about, uh, I'll say, the darkest secret, you know. So uh, I had few, like, uh, challenges, I'll say. And uh, I saw that, okay, maybe you need to have a second activity because, of course, then, you know, the activities were, it wasn't just. Um, it was intermittent, right? It wasn't just going to be. And this, is, and this is, and funny enough, this is one of the parallels with a lot of people in sports law, right? It's the same thing, right? In the sense of lawyers around the world sometimes struggle. Uh, particularly if you're not one of the big, big firms, but particularly independents to get that consistency of work as, as no doubt you are trying to deal with the business administration and provide legal advice and it becomes very, uh, comes a real challenge. Exactly. So at some point having the other work uh, was securing me 
and of course I could go and I had really like huge contracts and uh, I'm not even thinking about the money that he brought but the, the, the insight that I could have and uh, the fact that for me at the end I worked for my country you know it was very important for me uh, from there I ended up in politics uh, actually, it's not really politics, politics, but I was the, um, uh, named um, constitutional counselor of the Republic of Chad. So uh, handling all the laws, the project of laws that we have to say if it was uh, confer in conformity with uh, the constitution or not. Uh, it lasted only one year, unfortunately. <laughs> Uh, there were a reform in Chad that uh, the constitutional court was uh, suppressed and they created just a chamber into the Supreme Court. And in the meantime, um, I actually had the opportunity to come to CAF. So I joined CAF when they suppressed the Constitutional Council in, in Chad. So back to sports law and so so it seems to me though that that experience so there's a few things here so one the experience of dealing with uh 10 brothers and sisters or 10 of you nine of us probably is it 10 sorry 10 brothers and sisters is no, there 11 no, of you in total or is it sorry is there not yeah. 10 of you 10 of you in total yeah yeah so um to deal with nine of them so that's going to make you one very efficient with your time and very focused and secondly this broad experience and cultural diversity with uh, France, Switzerland, Egypt, Chad, gives you a great, great worldview in terms of different cultures. And then from a legal perspective, then you've got, within that, you've got your contract, constitutional, politics, yeah, no doubt some public relations, which then pr probably, and you were saying earlier that, you know, you got it quite quickly in terms of what a legal department at, at CAF could look like. Well, there's a lot of investment of time that's gone into you being in the position where you could probably see that, if you see what I mean. Like all, the, all those experiences probably helped you have a, a really quick understanding of how you can, all these things sort of tie together. Now, in terms of your, your role then, obviously, so you start the, the so you did your research paper, um, your thesis, then you've got this, which I think is a really interesting actually as a case study. So now you've got the, the, the legal department of CAF, so first of all, did you experience the usual stuff that happens when a legal department is first established at any organization where they say, what are you doing? Why do you want to know what we're up to? How do we liaise with you? Uh, you know, did you have to like, basically do an educational piece with your colleagues and also do a relationship building as well so they can trust you? Because one of the one of the the objections to a legal department is that they get in the way. Right. It's the one you hear all the time. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. It's it it's it's a complicated uh, relation because sometimes you feel that uh, they think you're you're just he here to bother them, and and when there is a problem, you're their savior. You know, so sometimes just I love you and so I know go away. You know, so for me, <clears throat> yeah, it was challenging. And coming in CAF uh, 2018 wasn't the easiest time for. Uh, me to join CAF. You know, I have started, I think, 5th of June, and the 6th of June, there were an airing of, um, it's a documentary about uh, corruption in football, in African football. It was with referees, I don't know if you heard about it. Yeah, 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 I do, yeah, I remember that, yeah. 
the day after I started. And it was, I mean, for me, it, it was really a difficult experience. It's really difficult experience. And then, you know, we had at this time, uh, I had only one person working for the division. Uh, it's a young lady, very good person. Um, there were two in the disciplinary uh, department and one went into uh, maternity leave. So we had only one person and me. Uh, so we had to do everything very fast, investigate, and it was such a sensitive matter also. And in the meantime, of course, then people uh, in the in the, in CAF, they know that there is a legal division. So uh, uh, as I told you, for a few, at the beginning, it was really difficult because sometimes when they didn't know what to do with something, they just send it to legal. This is the way I felt that's that's where you i guess you've got to be really careful when you uh define that yeah the function and again that's the whole educational piece right because again if people basically find something they don't like to do or address then they'll just send it your way <laughs> <laughs> exactly and i felt it very fast and something also very important to say is that um i'm really um you know i'm i'm a believer and um i think that all, everything that I did helped me to um, be an efficient director of legal affairs. Um, the few people that are close to me know what we had been through uh, for the last three years. It was, uh, it's, you cannot imagine how we're still standing. Sometimes uh, I just can't believe it was really a hard, uh, a hard time to, to be in camp. But everything uh, from the professional um, experience, professional knowledge to the personal um, soft skills that acquired, everything helped me uh, doing this job. So, so on the so on that, I was going to say Simon Sinek refers to this. This uh, you might have heard him do various talks. Um, he says it, and I think this is, and apparently the military say this uh, often. They say that they're not soft skills; they're human skills. So they look your professional skills and your human skills. And I love that's why I said it earlier because I think that's a better way to say it because it's not like it's this soft thing that doesn't really matter because it's a bit fluffy and it's over here. It's like in terms of what you were going through, it sounds like having a good understanding of how you can tolerate such an in, um, a stressful environment and that you can overcome it uh, seems to be quite critical to to your success. Yes, uh, I mean, it, it, you know, um, and I had uh, everything that I told you, like about growing up, etc., was nothing compared to the last three years. It's nothing. Because I had at some point, I realized that I started, even my body couldn't take it. My body couldn't take the stress. Uh, so I started doing sports to handle it. It's like everything is happening and there, and you need to to find a way to just survive it, you know. Um, so what sports did you do? What sort of, did um, you do just exercise or were you playing? I oh. run, I run. I, I love running, so I run. Uh, and uh, and and then I told you once also that I, I, I start meditating, for example. Because it just, you need to, to, to find a way to adapt. And uh, the thing also I, I told you last time as well is that I'm a single mom of two boys. That's what I was going to say. Where did the boys come into this? <laughs> I didn't want to bring it up, but I was thinking as you were talking, I was like, and where, where, where did the, where's the point of being pregnant and having two kids <laughs> into this timeline? <laughs> no, no, it's, it's possible. 
Sean, it's possible. You're proof I'll of that. But <laughs> yeah, it's possible. You have to have a good sense of humor. Uh, you have, I mean, for me, most important thing is don't see yourself as a victim. You're not, I'm not a victim. And I really love, I love what I do. Um, I appreciate every day that I spend at work. Uh, I think, um, and I, I don't even do it for myself. I, I, I know that I'm in service to people. I'm in service to the football, which I love. I'm in service to Africa. So this is when, when I go to work, I'm not just going to work. I'm doing something meaningful for me. And uh, my kids, I love them, and I, I, I can, I can do whatever it is necessary for for them to be, to be well and thriving and happy. So I make sure that uh, I'm I'm okay and that I have some time for them, and they see me happy. You know, uh, my my son draws me always with so many uh, colors, you know, and smiling. And I, I'm a magician, according to him. <laughs> you know, I, I always have this stick, you know, the magic stick. I'm like, okay. <laughs> so it's it's very important. And uh, after after everything, uh, I think I found joy doing what I do, and I'm really grateful for that. So can I ask you something? How do you how do how do you go about refocusing? Because there's um you know you talk about exercise and you, you there's absolutely um and i think there's a great podcast i recommend everyone tune into called the andrew hoobman podcast who's a neuroscientist from stanford who's done this great podcast but he was saying that basically like you know natural sunlight makes a massive difference in the morning because you could sleep matters obviously but also the um you know as, as you're getting under pressure if you can do exercise and obviously release those uh the dopamine that comes with that um it can create more resilience basically um in short how do you what's the order in terms of you know for for my day-to-day i try to when i'm at my best i definitely do meditate in the morning for like 10 minimum of 10 minutes and i'll do some exercise in you know one doesn't really matter which order for me in particular how do you you know if you sense that you're getting overwhelmed or you know or do you do, you know do you do you adapt and change your 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 schedule or do you on a day by day basis have a have a ritual that you follow um actually one thing that i learned on all this is uh, to be to be gentle with myself to be nice with myself before i was like discipline i love this word discipline you have to be disciplined um and for me i adapt i have of course um a morning routine that um i i follow you sports uh, you know we have uh, as muslim you know you have the morning prayer so it helps already it's meditation in the morning uh but when i'm overwhelmed i go back to myself and ask myself what i need you know and one thing that helped a lot uh, is when having really going through very difficult time, something that helped me is while waking up, just asking myself, what can I do for you today that would make you feeling better? You know, And uh, whatever it is, it can be anything. And I would spend the day doing what I need to do, but I know that I will do this for myself. And uh, it makes the difference. And do you think there's a... So you said about discipline, right? And there's this guy called Jocko Willink, who's a Navy, former Navy SEAL, who says discipline equals freedom, which I kind of like as a kind of mantra. Do, do, I would, uh, do, 
obviously you love discipline. You said you like discipline. Do you think something that I've struggled with, because I was very uh, negative self-talker as well, in the sense of going like, you're lazy, you're a bum, you're like, you work harder, you could do, you know, as in like, as in, but, uh, um, and all this sort of like very, like, uh, you know, not very kind things to say to yourself. Do, do you think that there is a way that from what you're saying is you're still disciplined, but in a kind way? So, you know, like, again, you can have different types of teachers, those who are like really strict disciplinarians and there's those people who are more encouraging. Are you now essentially still disciplined, but with that kindness? Is that, is that? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. This is what I noticed. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, it's interesting, right? Because I feel like this is, you know, if we look at everything that's going on in the world at the moment and in sport and all the problems with, with a sort of abusive coaches and stuff like that, it seems that there's still this, um, uh belief at times that you have to be you know to be disciplined that you have to be cruel right there's not there's not this kind you can't be disciplined and be kind uh both to oneself and to others and i think it's uh it's interesting i love yeah i think it's um you know and in the legal profession with our colleagues all around the world i'm sure there's many people listening to this who will feel the same right in their in their work environment there's this mentality sometimes where it can be over let's say overbearing um you know it doesn't and it doesn't need to be um Coming on to then, you know, you said you you love your. There's two things I want to touch on, and I could talk. We could talk about this for hours, as we have done in the past, because <laughs> um, I just think it's so useful. To because I think a lot of people would see you and listen to what you've accomplished and what you've overcome, and think to yourself and think to themselves, "Wow, I haven't had to do that, and I'm nowhere near as successful as this as, as she is. How can I? How can I possibly get there?" Right? But I think you having this honesty about what you do and how you have to overcome it and how vulnerable you are, I think is, is, is quite a powerful thing for people to listen to because, you know, th there are obstacles that are to, to overcome and people can overcome them. You know, we all do it in our own way, but like there's certainly a lot of hope in your message and I, I really like it. So thank, and thank you. I said this before, but thank you for being honest about this. I think we need more people to be honest about this in the profession. In terms of then, you said you're excited about your work. In terms of the work you're doing at CAF at the moment, and you've obviously there's been a lot of go, lot going on that you have to deal with on a day to day basis. What are you? What are some of the, the things that interest you the most about the work you're doing at the moment? And then, yeah, let's, let's let me. I'll, I'll leave that for once. I'll just ask one question at a time. So, what is it that um, sort of excites you about your work at the moment? You know, uh, for me, uh, first I think it's always going forward, you know, always going forward. Uh, let me explain myself. When I joined, there were no legal division. And when I started working, I couldn't understand how they could handle without a legal division. You know, it was, I had everything coming in, you know, and uh, the amount of work was unbelievable in few weeks. And I couldn't understand how it was possible to handle everything. It was, I think, at this uh, before it was the general secretary handling everything that is that was legal. And and um, of course, you see in practice that uh, it wasn't uh, benefiting the institution not having a legal division. You know? Uh, challenges were at this time the staffing because I spent like one year with uh, one or two people uh, working for the division so it was not very difficult but it was exciting to put into place something new and of course you know something that you create will have a little bit of yourself and um, for me uh, I took time 
you know, I don't know. Uh, it's easy maybe to say as a woman, but I felt it as a woman, as an African woman, you have to prove yourself. Uh, this is something just, it's true. It's like this. And there is no positivity nor negativity about it. It's just that it. Um, I had to be efficient because I didn't have a lot of people and I had a lot of work and I'm a perfectionist. So, uh, you know, so I had to put into place a system working very fast, efficiently and not getting, uh, because of course I didn't want to exhaust myself doing that. And uh, at this time in CAF, I'm sure everybody heard about it. There were so many issues around. So many things that you have to handle people coming there in, creating problems, and you had to, to take care of everything. And at the same time, we had uh, in CAS, uh, before I joined, I have been informed that there were two cases in, in CAS every two years. And when I joined, I think in one year, we had 16 or 20 something, you know. I mean, uh, unbelievable. <laughs> great learning, right? Great way to, uh, to, great way to understand what's going on. <laughs> so, and of course, there were this, uh, you remember for the African Cup of Nation, it was postponed and then we needed to do it there and not here. And, you know, as a lawyer there at this moment, not easy. But still, I was convinced that seeing how I worked and also the relationship I had with people because we built a trust. I know that today, whatever people say, I have the trust of my people around me and they know that, for example, you can send me 40 pages, uh, something very difficult and you need to sign it by tomorrow. Either I'll tell you I will not do it or I'll send you after reading it really carefully and sure 100% that it's good. Or you will know, don't do it because I will not. I don't have time. I cannot do it. I'll tell you. Or when they know at some point that when it comes out from me and I say, okay, that I did everything that I could, you know. So I won't say it's perfect, but they know that I checked it. And can I ask, how many people now in the legal team across the different? Now I'm very proud. With, I have four people. How many people, sorry? Four, four people, four. excellent, and that's still. And yeah, so, and, uh, and so, mm. how much of your time is devoted towards internal stuff at CAF now, and how much is it towards your member associations? I know that there's an overlap, obviously, but how much is it to supporting your? Yeah, how how because no doubt you've got two folk. Not enough, but something interesting is that we have uh, last year we you know I had. Uh, the, the owner to have the compliance division merge with the legal affairs in November 2019 after FIFA went to, to CAF. And um, with the compliance, it was a new thing. This is what I was telling you. It's like going forward all the time. So after establishing the legal affairs division, we had the compliance uh, coming in. And for me, it was something very new and ex really exciting. So uh, we established a compliance program now uh, in December. We, it was approved by the, by the CAF Executive Committee. We have a code of conduct, uh, CAF um, anti-bribery, uh, anti-corruption, um, gift policy, just to mention that uh, whistleblowing policy, data protection, 
all this which is going to increase your workload dramatically. <laughs> yeah, but it's exciting. And can yeah, you imagine that it was not there before? And uh, and now the 2021 would be implementation. So training over all the federation in Africa. So for me, it's such an honor, and I'm I'm really I'm really grateful that I had the chance to do that because you know I'm. I mean, I can't believe that I have the chance to do that, you know. And, and what what is your, um, I'm just conscious of time, but the, uh, yeah, I said I could keep talking, as most people know, for way too long, but uh, I know you've got lots of things to do. In terms of the African football and African sport, you know, people know, my, my opinion is that I really hope that it blossoms. Really, I think it's great, good for everyone around the world, and I think it's good for the sports market as well, as well as for politics and everything else that goes with it. What are your aspirations in terms of the? Yeah, what do you hope for sort of African football and uh, African sport over the coming years, or how do you see it? For me, uh, because I know that uh, we say, of course, that African uh, teams will be represented into the highest uh, level of competition, world competition. Um, of course, but uh, I'm more of a democratic person saying that I wish that all African boys and girls have access to sports. You know, <clears throat> it's not easy uh, for the boys. I mean, you know, for some people, it's so obvious that you just go out and you have uh, field, you have balls, footballs to play or uh, basketballs. Uh, but I know that it's not for everyone, you know. Uh, so for me, really, uh, from my heart, what I wish is that they have access to sports. It will also um, channel the energy, and sports is a great thing. This is one of the reasons that I'm so happy to be working in sports. I won't exchange it for, with anything. Um, it just, you know, it's it helps developing the person, you know. It's very important. So uh, for girls, um, I'm from a country where it's it's women can't do sports as they wish, you know. Uh, it's stigmatized, you know. You're a woman. What are you going outside? You you, you go to meet men. Uh, so uh, I'd say legally, I hope that legally uh, this will be improving. I know I'm not talking only about Chad. I'm talking about all Africa. It's a uh, it's a problematic that is there. And even mentality, you know, mentality-wise, that uh, now it's changing a little bit. I'm seeing that it's changing. And, and, and how is, on that poor question then, because, <sighs> right or wrongly, I'm very bullish about women's sport from the perspective, you know, as you, as you as I said before, like mixed martial arts, boxing, to the boxing was my first one of my first sport, basketball and boxing and uh, um, mixed martial arts is something that I'm very interested in. And I love the fact that the UFC in particular headline women fighters and it's some of the best competition you're going to see period like as in, and no one, not anyone who's real really into the sport questions it now. And it's in the space of a couple of years, really, or maybe four years, it's really shifted. And so I'm quite boyish about, um, um, sorry, buoyant I should say about uh what women's sport and women's football in particular can do for the perception of of women's sport what is the state of women's football in Africa I would say not where it should be first of all <laughs> right. uh it's changing but you know in Africa it's complicated because you can change but the mentality is very difficult to change you will have political this um, uh, speeches 
every day speaking about yes let's emancipate women uh, women's sports you know women football women in football there is stigma of sports and there is stigma of football which is a man thing so if you want to go to 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 play football you have to face already the, the ideas and uh, and it's not easy but uh, I'll say for me, for example, being in CAF, we're working for it. We're working towards it. And hopefully, if for me, uh, if a young girl loves football and wants to play football, she needs to know that she's allowed to do so. And it's not, she's not abnormal because she loves football. You know? So um, it's very important. And, um, and um, yeah, hopefully that... Uh, I think at one point, you know, CAF is doing efforts towards uh, women football. We have a great team working into the women. There is a women, CAF women department. I love their job. I'm all the time like around them. <laughs> and they prepared. I mean, I really advise people if they want to check on the CAF website, there is the program of um, the CAF uh, women development. And uh, they made, I think it's uh, over five years of program. Um, great job they're doing a really great job and um, hopefully with also the competition the CAF Women Champions League uh, hopefully it will uh, level up uh, the interest of uh, people on uh, women football I'm really looking forward to it uh, well, there is I remember speaking to um, I was at the privilege of doing a um, uh, uh, chairing a panel discussion for FIFA Pro many years ago, the European—I think it was the European Parliament—for you know when the, you know, when the, the dispute was going on around the transfer system, and they asked me to come as an independent to moderate this this discussion. It was a real a real joy, and I met some uh, women players from Germany and from Brazil, and the, the lady—I can't remember her name, so forgive me—but um, the she was uh, playing in Brazil. Apparently, there's lots of stigma at the time in Brazil about the women's team. However, the older generation started to watch the women play. Now, they came over initially and they were saying, what are you doing playing? You shouldn't be playing. But then when they started to watch the women play, they were they actually started to um, enjoy it and say, actually, this is more like what they would consider to be Brazilian football, right? It was more passing the ball and, you know, and, and, and um, let's just say, rather than the sprinting with it as such. Um, but I thought that was a really interesting perspective that there was this shift and then... I know that uh, Alexandra, who you'll know from FIFA Pro, who's at, who's outstanding, yeah, and um, she was saying that they did a focus group with the with the player associations from I think it was four countries in in uh, Central and South America, and I think it was Argentina who had told them had said it was going to take X number of years before they could get the women's uh, league to be professionalised, and then because of the, this inter um, this interaction and, and collaboration between the player associations, they were able to go back to the national federation. And I think in three months or four months after that, they were able to lobby to get their the women's league professionalised, which I just thought was incredible. So, I think even when there's sometimes doesn't appear like there's that much hope for it developing um, quickly and at pace. So I think in the world we're in nowadays with information sharing and stuff like that, I think we can be support. I think there's, there's sometimes we can be so pleasantly surprised. I hope, and I'm hope I'm hopeful for that. Um, ha I've got so many other questions to ask you, but I think I'm just going to kind of, uh, hmm. 
I'll say, well, okay, I'm going to ask you this question just because I think, you know, given this this crazy period that you have, and obviously you talked about being kind to yourself, is there anything else that you've learned over this sort of period where we've all been sort of stuck at home or large parts of the world have been stuck at home? Have you learned anything that you'd like to share with everyone? Yes, I'll say um, work-wise, work-wise or personal-wise? Both. Um, prioritize work-wise, I'll say prioritize. Um, and how do you go about prioritizing? What's your strategy prioritizing for prioritizing? For me, when we came, uh, you know, being being in lockdown, uh, having homeschooling <clears throat> and work, you know, we have been following with work also. And just being closed inside and there is something that is killing people outside. And, you know, you don't know what it is. I mean, for me, uh, it was it was unbelievable. And we, you know, we human beings, we just are so adaptable that at the beginning we were like, okay, oh, something is happening. But after that, we were more like, okay, so I need to do this work uh, amazingly. Uh, and for me, I, ha I was homeschooling. Uh, and so I wanted everything to be so perfect and work so perfect. And at some point, I started being overwhelmed. So, and then I sat and I was like, oh, listen, the most important thing is when we go out of there alive, you won. So I needed to repeat to myself, you have just when you go outside and everything is okay and you're breathing, you won already. You don't need anything to yeah, do. Yeah. Other, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I used to say a similar thing under a period I was under an immense amount of stress. I remember just thinking and listening to some other people share their stories on various podcasts of like prisoners of war and, and people who really suffered like greatly, how much they appreciated breathing. And I thought about that as a concept and was like, you know, really, if you stop and uh, think about just taking a breath and all the things that's going on in your body and in your lungs and, the, you know, it's quite something that's quite some, some, something, you know, it can really stop you if you're ever feeling make, in immense amounts of stress just to go how wonderful it is just to be able to take a breath because, you know, if you're in a position where you can't take a breath, you suddenly appreciate it, right? Exactly. If you were be, um, exactly. So starting to be grateful for the little things and for work, for me, uh, I think I told you many times, my work is, I, 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 I do it as an extension of me being very well. If I'm not feeling well, I will not work. <clears throat> you know, if uh, I do it, I give it 100% everything and I have so much joy that I put on it. And uh, Well, there's, there's some, again, there's some great studies on this, which is like, it's something ridiculous. I think it's a guy called Sean Anker from Stanford, I think he's from Stanford, who did a presentation uh, on TED years and years ago. And there was this, showed this data that if you're happy at work, you'd like, you, you know, and it didn't matter which profession. It was like you improve your output by like 20% or something like that. It was a surprisingly large amount. It was incredible, right? So it's so important. But I just want to pull up on this thing. In terms of prioritizing, right? So you've got many plates spinning, many things coming in. What's your sort of standard assessment in terms of how do you go, right? Is this a priority now? Do you do you chunk your time? Or do you do you like block out big chunks of time? Or do you have a waiting criteria? How do you actually do it? I'm a bit of a geek when it comes to this type of stuff because I don't do it very well. So I'm always looking for for to see how other people are doing it. For work? Yeah, for work. Yes, uh, prioritizing for me, um, I just, first of all, I tell myself that I'll do everything. 
So I'm not overwhelmed when I am choosing what to do first and what not to do first. Uh, second, taking into account my work, um, I'm, I'm, I'm supporting people. So uh, when, for example, there is an event on the 15th of the month and uh, the person sends me the contract before someone who sent it bef before him, but the event would be on the 20th. So, of course, there is a priority in terms of time because uh, I, I see the whole thing as we are all one team. So we need, everyone needs to win at the same time. I'm not going to be like discipline, going back to discipline and be rigid and saying like, okay, no, rule is that uh, he, the first come, first served. So I, I put a little bit of, uh, I'll check the surroundings to see uh, what is the most important. Sometimes uh, I have to say, I don't know if, I hope that uh, I will be understood but sometimes I will also stop a little bit something at my level because I feel that we need some time and things are spinning. So sometimes I'll, I will explain that, okay, listen, I need to go through, through hopefully it within this matter. And I let the things... Uh, so so, so, so if, I, if, I, if I understand this correctly, so... Um, so two things that you do you one assess the time constraints right so things in terms of what it is there obviously the weighting of importance given the no doubt the value and the you know the event etc whatever you know the impact it will have and then the other thing that you're saying is that you also recognize that, that if something requires more time or deeper thought or ask another question you'll you'll put a break on it essentially to say hey Right. So, so again, two two really interesting tools. And then, secondly, do, do third. Well, I guess thirdly, um, uh, do you, um, uh, in terms of your managing your team, so you've got your own workload and managing your team. <coughs> do you tend to do? Do you, are you a like a late worker or an early worker in terms of when do you do? You, are you always ready for your team to to ask you for stuff, or do you put boundaries in for your team to feed back information into you? So, say for example, with me, I try to keep my morning safe from to try and get a handle on things and then from lunchtime onwards I'm more available for my team for for me um, I'm quite flexible but I'll tell them when they know actually I I have quite a physical um, for example the door you would know that it's closed so it means that uh, um, I need sometimes to because I need to concentrate um, but I I make sure that they know that if there is anything they can they can have access to me. But also, um, I'm, I'm preparing them to be independent. Each one of them needs to know that he's valued and that he can do it, you know. I'm just, sometimes I'm pushing them. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's great. That's great. That's a great way to do it. So you are available other than when you're not. And then the other thing is that, you know, you're trying to develop the team. Ashtar, um, it, yeah, I say this every time we speak, though, but it's a real pleasure to speak to you. And I think, you know, if there was ever, 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 ever a reason, and there's very many other good reasons, though, that we need more diversity in sports law, we need more diversity in terms of uh, leadership. It's like your story is like, I think, um, an embodiment of that, right? That, that someone from my, like myself, from my background, yeah, I can bring a perspective, right? But it's just one perspective. And it was also, you know, things like taking for granted that, you know, you can just play sport. 
right that you could got the opportunity to do that or you can just become a lawyer and you know you can do this that and the other i think um you know it's a real honor and pleasure to interview you like i said i love you i love i love your approach as you know i really think that your story is one an impressive one but i think it's one of optimism and one that people can learn from thank you so much for being like so open about your you know your experiences and you know i think again that's something that sometimes we don't talk enough about right is the feeling overwhelmed and being able to deal with it particularly this moment in time where you know they think the mental health issues are on the um on the rise because of the pandemic i wish you lots and lots of success with what you do and as i said it's an absolute delight to interview you i said i love your approach i love that you know uh, the wisdom that you shared with us so thanks for taking the time out and get and knowing that knowing how much you've got going on <laughs> with everything with the family commitments of work i appreciate it all the more thank you so much